Turns out my habit is Joe coming over to my desk and saying, da-na-na-na, jabber time. <laughs> nice. That behavior is always acceptable if you are dressed for the part. <laughs> <laughs> and since I this have- is pure audio, you don't even have to be dressed. <laughs> I have a pair of parachute pants. Yeah, I actually record most of the show while I'm in the bathtub. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Wichmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to wichmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, be most of this podcast is sponsored by JetBrains, makers of WebStorm. Whether you're working with Node.js or building the front end of your web application, WebStorm is the tool for you. It has great code quality and code exploration tools and works with HTML5, Node, TypeScript, CoffeeScript, Harmony, Less, SAS, Jade, JSLint, JSHint, and the Google Closure compiler. Check it out at jetbrains.com slash webstorms. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 70 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Jameson Dance. Hello friends. Joe Eames. Hey there. AJ O'Neill. Still coming at you, almost live uh, from San Francisco. What's up, guys? Yeah, there we go. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest, and that is Reg Braithwaite. Pleased to be here with you. That was a radio voice, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, awesome. No kidding. We should have you do some voiceovers for us. We should, yeah. You're listening to JavaScript Jabber. (laughs) Say, in a world... (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> derailed derailed De- yeah totally so um reg since you're new to the show do you want to introduce yourself briefly certainly i am a 51 year old programmer i got started the old-fashioned way by stealing computer time from a university <laughs> and i've been in love with uh writing software ever since i first laid hands on punch cards and saw that you could put them in a machine and then have this massive fanfold paper come out with stuff printed on it. And uh, what can I say? I, I think it's the most thrilling occupation to have. And I consider myself very lucky to do what I love and love what I do. And I like hanging around and talking to other people who uh, feel the same way, which is why I'm here. So we should also say that you just recently got hired on by GitHub. So you've moved on to the programmer Valhalla or, or Elysium, right? It's like the, the glorious afterlife. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know what to tell you about that. I'm beginning to suspect that they hired me because they saw that one of my hobbies is rock climbing and they figured I could handle the steep learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a pretty special place, but I've this is my second week, so... You know, if someone were to ask me a question, what's it like at GitHub? The honest truth is I don't know yet. I'm still I'm still just with my face stuck in the fire hose. <laughs> nice. I've talked to several people over there and it really does sound like a terrific uh company to work for. So So anyway, so you wrote this um JavaScript, is it Allonge? That's my understanding of the pronunciation, yeah. I have to say, when I picked up the book, I, I was like breezing through it and it's so funny because I start reading a book and I get excited when I can just, you know, easy read 
you know, blow through it. And then I, I hit some of the code examples and some of the combinators and I actually had to stop and like puzzle my way through some of them. And so, yeah, it, it was both a pleasure and a challenge to read. Well, I, um, what I was aiming for, I, I realized that, um, some of the programming style, uh, in the book is unfamiliar compa- uh, compared to the way most books are written. But, you know, when I sat, when I thought about it, of all the things I could write about, I really, really wanted to try to bring something new to the table and not necessarily more advanced or better than what other books are doing. I, I didn't set out to write a book that's better than any book you could buy, but it did seem to me that if one is to write a book, that one should at least give a new perspective so that other people can, um, when reading it, can say, oh, okay, that's a different way to think of this. I already knew that, but oh, I see a new perspective or a new angle or maybe uh, introduce them to something new that was in the previous book but didn't get highlighted or or didn't, you know, kind of stick when they were reading it. So I take full uh, responsibility for that unfamiliarity and and for trying uh, without – I wasn't trying to be too gratuitous, but I did try to – uh, approach some of the some of the bedrock material of JavaScript programming from a uh, relatively new place. Hmm. So that's, that's a really oh, awesome perspective to go writing a book. Yeah. Well, well it, compare and contrast. Um, if we were to pick up some language that is just picking up Steam now, Rust or Go, uh, there's a lot of value in just playing it straight and saying, you yeah. know, this is the language, and you know, these are the standard idioms and so on, because people are hungry for that. But Given that JavaScript, the good parts, has been around for so long, given that there are so many already existing excellent books out on the subject, what is the value of a new one other than calling it head first something or for dummies or for idiots and sticking a a funny picture on the cover? I I didn't want to do that. This isn't, this definitely isn't JavaScript, like teach yourself JavaScript in 25 hours or something like that. It's, (laughs) so I, I counted. And you went 110 pages into the book before you defined what this is in JavaScript, even though you use it before then. It's, it's a really interesting style, right? And you say yeah. in the beginning, this is written for people that probably already know some stuff about JavaScript, but it's still, it was like this tension that you kept showing this stuff. And I don't know, it, it made for an interesting reading experience, I thought. By the same token, that, that was part of what caused me to kind of level up when I was dealing with some of the, you know, stop and understand stuff, which was really sure. cool. So you, you talk about the Y Combinator on page 90-something. Um, okay. And it's really interesting because it's not, if, if you search the internet, you'll find like hundreds of Y Combinator blog posts and tutorials and stuff. It's kind of like the Monad blog post of, of JavaScript, right? But you deliberately don't do that. You just kind of throw people in the deep end and you say like, here's the code. Uh, you should figure out what this does and, and how this works. Can you kind of talk through your reasons for doing it like that? Well, yeah, I, uh, that's a really great question. I should, I, I'll say, I'll say right away. I had been trying to introduce and really emphasize the idea of functions as first class entities and most people bring that idea forward when talking about JavaScript and say, you know, a function can return a function or take a function as a parameter. And then you typically toss out a few really obvious, simple examples. And then you move on and start writing a bunch of object-oriented programming that would be completely familiar to a, J- a Java programmer or a C programmer. 
And I really wanted in this book to not to really run with that idea. And then that's why there's a lot of combinators in there, functions that take other functions as parameters and re- return modified versions of those of those functions. So after having done a fair bit of that, I did want to introduce the Y combinator. And I really felt, you know, as in speaking before, that this has been discussed. It is, as you say, a... Um, I'm not quite sure how to put it, almost an idol <laughs> that one mounts in one's house. Look, the Y Combinator and, yeah. uh, and, and praise to it. Um, it does, it does have a few, a very few um, practical applications, but the most valuable part of it is usually working out how it works. Given that people had written about that and that you could easily Google and find lots of explanations of how it works, being just a celebrated pattern, I felt like I was not able to bring something really enlightened and new uh, to it without writing a, practically a whole book about it. I had um, already written a Ruby book, well, collection of blog posts. There was a series of blog posts that I later crafted into a book, um, which was all about combinators. And I introduced a bunch of recursive combinators that had nothing to do with the Y combinator. So there, for my own personal reasons, I didn't want this time to sort of repeat myself and, and, and start talking about a lot of recursive combinators. So here I am. I don't want to repeat what other people have re- written, and I don't really want to repeat in JavaScript what I've already said in Ruby. So it occurred to me, hey, maybe this is something I can put there and pick a place in the book where people have been introduced to it enough that they can uh, work it out for themselves and just try things. And uh, that's what I did. And so far, I would say I'd maybe give myself a C minus or D plus for that decision. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, have you gotten complaints about it or something? No, but people have definitely mentioned like, okay, so when would I use this? Or, okay, so it, it was hard for me to figure out how it worked. You know, not, I don't think anyone's ever come to me and say, thank you for tossing that in there. It was, it was you know a huge enlightening moment when I figured out how it worked. I think it's pretty brilliant because people learn best by doing, and I can read all these blog posts and convince myself I understand without having any clue what it actually means. So it was helpful for me. I'm very glad to hear that. Uh, I I just wanted to chime in that I like it as well. Like I think that it's a really, I think it's a really good approach. Immediately as I started reading through it, I thought to myself, you know, there's probably a lot of people that, that won't find this approach as useful. It's not what they're familiar with. But for me, I just have more of a pattern mindset. And I think that's kind of what, what you've got going on here is you're showing like, here's a pattern, here's a pattern, here's a pattern. Now use your own brain to do the algebra that, you know, takes the common elements and puts them together. I mean, t- to me, it's more of that, that style of learning. It feels algebraic to me. Well, I, uh, thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. I really try to avoid being a didactic, um, be, you know, lecturing people. I know when creating products and so on that it's a mistake to only write for yourself. But, and I don't do that. I, I don't imagine myself as being the reader. But I do imagine that the person I am writing for is at least as intelligent as I am. They may have a different uh, amount of, they're a different kind of experience, but I shouldn't assume that they have less experience than I have, you know, just maybe in different areas. 
it's true that most programmers probably reading my book probably aren't 51, but I essentially try to respect the people who read my blog posts or my books, or for that matter, <laughs> respect my colleagues. You know, I try to give them at least as much respect as I, as I have for myself. And that means that sometimes I'm not going to be too pedantic. Or if I am, it's for a reason. I tried, a lot of people skimmed over the first bit because I really started with ultra basics. But I was trying to start with basics the way one might write, you know, a proof in mathematics, you know, in a respectful way. You know, given this, given this, given this, this follows, as opposed to, listen, you dummy, this is how this works. This is how this, is how this works. And I don't know if uh, it felt that way for you, but that's what I was trying for. No, no, I, I totally got that. Like, that is exactly how it felt to me. Like, I, it actually is very reminiscent of an article that I wrote and the way that I approached it. Like, so this resonated with me because it matches my, my learning style. Yeah, the other thing is, is that most of the guys on this show do Ruby or do JavaScript most of the time. And I spend most of my time. Long show, Chuck. Ruby. Long show, Chuck. <laughs> no, I got my, my brain backwards. Anyway, so, um, Anyway, so it's kind of interesting, you know, coming at it from somebody who isn't in the thick of JavaScript every day and dealing with these things on this level. Um, that approach, you know, it, it, it helped cement a lot of those basics because, you know, I don't deal with them every day, but it was another approach to seeing it. And especially one thing that stuck out to me was the way that you showed the nested environments, um, which is something that you pick up in closures. That really, really helped just showing it as kind of a an object or a, a hash or a dictionary or whatever you want to call it and saying, look, you know, it looks in here and then it goes up to the next level's uh, environment and looks there. And it gave me this visual context for it that, uh, you know, helped me understand a little bit better. Oh, that's really great feedback. I, um, I have heard um, a few people say similar things that... Um that this area, you know, uh, closures, environments, and so on, uh, is, um, is an area that people sort of muddle along and, f and figure out how it works. But uh, for whatever reason, that hasn't always been um, very well explained, perhaps, or hasn't always been a focus of uh, of people's writings. So, so um, yeah, I want to take a little bit of a step back, and could you could you give a summary, sort of, to our listeners of what the book is about? Uh, absolutely. The book is an attempt to introduce JavaScript, the language, from the perspective of programming with functions. I don't mean functional programming. Not only is that term a little vague, but I'm not attempting to preach a particular style of, progr of, of programming. But the perspective of the book is that the core thing in JavaScript is the function. It's kind of at the center of everything. Every language kind of has something that's at the center of everything. Objects are the center of Java. Uh, a friend of mine who's an ex extremely experienced programmer once said his aha moment in C came when he realized that pointers rather than integers were the core, uh, the core thing in C. And my perspective is that functions are the core thing in JavaScript. Everything's about functions, whether it's creating objects, with what is a class-like thing in JavaScript with this prototype chain and so on, or whether it's combinators or whether it's simply calling functions, methods, everything's a function. So I thought I wanted to write a book where the function is the thing we spend the most time talking about, 
And when we're not talking about the function, he's kind of there in the room, casting a shadow on what we're talking about, so that when coming away from the book, you'll have a, a really strong feel for working with functions in JavaScript and all of the things that, uh, all the possibilities that uh, arise from the functional nature of JavaScript, the language. I really love this approach because I came from another language. I didn't start programming through JavaScript. So, and the language that I came from was a very object-oriented language. So really, you know, I have this innate fear of functions and that still, you know, lingers to some degree because it's not, it wasn't my formative language. And having a, the t- topic of JavaScript being central, the, the fun- central object in JavaScript as a function, really does s- help set up, you know, your mind for what JavaScript is. And I, and I totally agree with you, this approach that JavaScript is central, or functions are central to JavaScript is absolutely right. And this book really helped me to cement a lot of the things that I'd slowly been migrating my brain around. JavaScript is not, you know, C sharp is not Java. It's something else. And I really like that. You know, I definitely feel like it helped me take the next step up or like Chuck said, level up. I'm very flattered. There's a book I respect enormously. May I mention it? Of course. Feynman's uh, QED, uh, which is uh, quantum electrodynamics, I believe the book is called QED, The Strange Theory of Light and Matter. And this was taken from four lectures he did in the late 50s or early 60s. I, I apologize for not having done more research on the subject. But the book has four chapters, one for each lecture. And the entire topic of the book is to explain how light reflects off a mirror. That's all the book explains. And what Feynman did in these lectures, which became a book, was he sat down to explain how light reflects off a mirror without any hand-waving or abstractions. And to do that, he, he, as he goes along, he attempts to explain how the various abstractions and so on are wrong. For example, you know, Everyone is taught, I shouldn't say everyone, I was certainly taught, and this seems to be the prevalent idea, that the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection, or that, you know, if you fire a beam of light at the center of a mirror, it strikes the mirror in a little dot and then reflects off the dot. And Feynman, in his book, explains that, in actual fact, light hitting a mirror bounces off at all angles, and that um, light hitting the mirror, what we think is a little spot, in fact, touches the entire mirror, and on and on and on. So he says, okay, forget all of these various, you know, rules of thumb and so on that are very useful in the, in the, in our practical world. And let's talk about what's actually happening. And then he dives under the hood and explains it. And the only thing he really hand waves over is the complicated math that would make, turn that one book into 20 volumes. But he, in terms of the mechanism, he explains what is actually going on. And I, don't think that this book is nearly as good as QED, but QED definitely influenced me when I wrote this book in that I wanted to try to explain what's actually going on and not wave, wave my hand and not say, this is a class when it isn't, but to say, this is a class-like thing, you know, and, you know, whether I think perhaps 
the JavaScript engine doesn't really necessarily use um, hashes and lookup tables exactly the way I explained it. But I really did try to take this approach of saying, let's just start with the basics and just explain the, the, you know, what I believe to be the absolute truth of what's going on and not take any shortcuts. You know, that, that could be very useful um, rules of thumb for, for practical programming, but for the purpose of understanding, let's try to figure out, let's try to, you know, talk about, you know, the real thing so that we really understand what's going on. And that later when we think about abstractions and when we use words like superclass and so on, that in the back of our mind, we know that we're using convenient shorthand, but that we still understand what our shorthand stands for if we need to. I love that description and that story. I mean, for one thing, I definitely idolize Feynman because he's, you know, very well recognized as uh, one of the few people that was able to explain really complex subjects to people. Uh, you know, just an amazing teacher, right? And so your goal of approaching the subject matter the way he is and following in, you know, his kind of uh, uh, ideas for teaching things to people, I really agree with. Lots of times, and I find myself doing this all the time, I try to digest something down into something simple and relatable and then we probably do a disservice most often to our audience when we do that because they are capable of understanding something complex if we are capable of explaining it correctly. In fact, your chapter, or is this, I don't know if it's chapter or subsection, titled uh, Prototypes Are Not Difficult to Understand, but the descriptions of them are uh, something to that effect, right? Absolutely. I, yeah, uh, that, that, was, that was what I was uh, aiming for. But... I'm not nearly as amusing as uh, Feynman was. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there are many people that could come close in lots of ways. So I want to talk about one other part, which is the footnotes and just the kind of um, asides that you make in in the book. Lots of them are in footnotes. Some of them are just in the course of the writing. But there's just such a depth of general knowledge about computation interspersed in here that was really it was it was a great read partially because I was going to look up stuff that I'd heard of and never really understood or, or things I'd never even heard of. When you explained about uh, the, the fluent combinator, right? I, I mean, I had seen that idea of chaining. So, so it's the idea of operations return the object that they operate on, kind of. So Absolutely. like in, in jQuery, you can chain operations because they all return this. And you show a little way to, to wrap getters and setters in a combinator that will do that for you. But you just casually linked to this outside resource that explained it in detail and where it came from and the history of it and stuff. And I feel like I learned a lot about JavaScript, but also a lot about just general computation from, from the book. Was that an explicit goal? Or is that just because you've been programming for a long time? So this stuff kind of flows out of your brains. Whoa. Okay. You got, you got me on that one. Um, <laughs> I think the, the truth of the matter is that I do write for readers, but I also write for myself. So in writing, I'll start talking about something and then I'll pause and realize I don't know it nearly as well as I think I should. And I'll look it up and read it and go back and revise it and so on. And so along the way, when writing, I'm learning things and I make notes of things like links to articles I've read or and so on. So that's part of it. Part of it is that, you know, a book in some ways is a very, a PDF book or a printed book is in some ways a a fantastic medium for learning, but it does have this limitation that it isn't hypertext. You, you can't just click on something. And the footnote is the closest we've come 
to being able to provide more depth of information. So I embrace footnotes. Um, I try not to be academic and just footnote something because, you know, uh, it's intellectual. No, intellectual dishonesty is not the correct expression, but it's kind of plagiaristic to quote something or an idea without giving credit. That's not really where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm trying to provide more information for people who are, who are interested. And uh, if I may uh, mention another book, actually a whole series, an incredibly long series. There's an author called George MacDonald Fraser, and uh, he wrote a book called Flashman, and it became a, a fictional book, semi-fictional book, I'll explain. And it became a hit, and he ended up writing a whole series of books. Um, there's a book called uh, Tom Brown's School Days, which was a big hit. And George MacDonald Fraser took a minor character named Harry Flashman out of this very famous old book and then proceeded to write from the minor character's point of view. But George MacDonald Fraser... Um, had a background as a historian. And as you read the book Flashman or any of the, you know, various sequels, there's lots and lots of endnotes that appear. I can't remember if they appear at the end of the book or at the end of each chapter. They're not on the page itself usually, but they're usually at the end, which have incredibly detailed things. For example, um, the, the Flashman, he's allegedly writing his memoirs, will say, well, you know, it was a nice sunny day in April and we went downtown and there was a parade being held for the Duke of Westchester or something. And then there'll be a footnote and George MacDonald will say, uh, Mr. Flashman is, you know, appears to be in error. The Duke of Westchester did, in fact, get married and there was a parade in his honor, but it was March of that year, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and so on. There's just tons and tons of these little asides that are, that add a tremendous amount of verisimilitude to reading a fictional book about uh, a character. And I really kind of enjoyed having sort of two brains, one that's reading the narrative and the other that's, you know, looking up these footnotes either after the fact or as I go along. And um, I tried to borrow that style for my technical books to have, whether it be a link to could be as simple as a link and you'll follow it or you know as much as i think there are a couple of places where i use a couple of paragraphs to describe an idea oh that's really interesting that's crazy i also noticed that uh, that guy wrote the uh, screenplay to a james bond film uh octopussy i think yeah yeah that's a cool style I, it was a very enjoyable style to have those footnotes i mean i i found i I found a lot of very interesting things, especially the green spun link. Oh yes. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading about that one. Yeah. That the green spunning is a theme that comes up over and over again. I, as a matter of fact, I wrote a blog post this morning discussing green spunning. So, <laughs> oh, cool. so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I return to uh, regularly. Where, where can people get to your blog? Now that you mention it, ragandwalt.com. Speaking of um, online presence um one of the things that i really enjoyed about the book was the website the allonges or whatever it is it's a l l o n g dot e s yes and um there were a couple of things that really struck me with this and you don't see this with a lot of books even with programming books which which is something i find interesting but uh you know you could actually go and install the allonges through um through npm you could go mm-hmm. look at them on GitHub. You could actually try them in the browser, which I thought was really awesome. And I, I'm just wondering, you know, does this kind of fit into your overall goal with the book as far as helping people understand these uh, these topics and principles related to JavaScript? I was hoping so. I, I, I don't know whether it works or not. But 
I didn't. So there is an Allonger library, which contains the various combinators and tools described in the book. I definitely was not trying to create a library that competes with underscore or Lodash or any of these other existing pop, uh, deservedly popular JavaScript libraries. But I did want to uh, relieve readers of the trouble of copying and pasting from the book into their own code if they wanted to experiment with these ideas. And as such, it seems sensible to put them up where you could, you know, install them with NPM or, as you say, play with them in the browser. The playing with them in the browser, I definitely stole that idea from, I shouldn't say definitely because my mind is uh, not, is highly imperfect. I believe that I stole the idea from Michael Fogus, who has a great book out on um, functional programming in JavaScript with underscore. And um, I think his site has uh, not necessarily a site for the book, but he has a library and I think he has some executable code samples. So I like that idea and I just took the code for the ACE editor in JavaScript and... Um, it, uh, it seemed to work, and people gave me some nice feedback about being able to play with things. So I've, uh, it seemed, uh, seemed like a good idea. And the people of Spain don't mind my you know, having libraries that end in .es, so Alange, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find that programming, you know, we make, we create value out of bits. And as a result, the, the, the bad news is, it's very hard to enforce scarcity. That's why there are all these lawyers running around with patents and so on, because it's very easy to copy things, as you, as you know. But the good news is that because scarcity can't be enforced, it's very easy to create a, a positive-sum game, as opposed to you know a tragedy of the commons, where by sharing information, other people do things that you then use, and the, you know a rising tide lifts all boats without getting overly philosophical. I mean, what do I know about uh, economics? But, you know, there's an awful lot of poor people in the world. And if a bunch of them have the capability to become programmers, and they do, it's, a, it's, a, it's really easy to say, oh, they'll take our jobs. But the other possibility is they'll make money and become our customers, you know, and, and everybody's standard of living will rise the more, uh, the more people there are being productive. And I believe that's true at almost every scale, whether we're talking about bringing another billion people uh, online with things like Firefox OS and, and cheap phones, being able to have really inexpensive smartphones, or whether we're simply talking about there's a new junior colleague in your work or uh, joining your, your monthly meetup, and people take time to coach them and make them a better programmer. I, I believe the it's not even the long view, but the medium-term view is that that creates more value for all of us. So if I could afford to give everything away, I would. And, and I do, basically. JavaScript Allonge, I haven't put um, online for free yet. I did with a previous book, CoffeeScript Ristretto, and another previous book, uh, uh, Kestrel's Quirky Birds and Hopeless e uh, Egocentricity, my, uh, my Ruby book. And one day JavaScript Allonge will be free online as well. I, I believe in the long term that, that everybody, including myself, win when we have more information and more knowledge and more learning to share with each other. That's a fantastic, fantastic uh, statement and belief. I love hearing, hearing that and hearing more people uh, tout that same thing. 
I think history uh, proves it to be true. Although uh, the uh, although the top one percent seems to be trying to reverse it, uh, history in North America has shown that the greatest prosperity came with the growth of the, of, of a functioning uh, middle class who uh, accumulated some modest compared to rich people's wealth for themselves and security, and in turn uh, created a vast consumer class that propelled um, our our shared economies. And I don't think that there's anything different with knowledge economies based on programming and so on and based on having um, 3D printers at home than there was when people were taking steel and turning them into automobiles. I think that it, it seems obvious to me, simple and obvious to me, that you know, the more intellectual wealth is distributed, the better everyone will be. And J.S. Jabber obviously buys into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or, we love sharing. Yeah, that's uh, that's why you're here. That's why I'm here. And um, I don't know. I, I really can't see one day laying on my deathbed, you know, croaking my my aged finger at my grandchildren to come closer so they can hear me rasp. Don't make my mistake. Don't <laughs> share what you know. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask about the uh, the coffee metaphors that you use, or at least the the theme that you have with your different, uh, you know, coffee coffee script ristretto and uh, JavaScript allongé. Was that just something that you did for fun, or was there a reason behind it? Yeah, it's not an overarching theme, or should the word be overarching? I'm not quite sure how that word is pronounced. Uh, what happened was I wanted to write JavaScript allongé. I didn't have a title for it, but I wanted to write this book about JavaScript. And I kind of felt like I wanted to do a good job. And one way to do a good job is to, is to practice it, to do, you know, to, to take a practice run. So in fact, CoffeeScript Ristretto was written as a way of learning how to write JavaScript allongé. Huh. And, um, yeah, that, that's exactly how, how, how it happened. Uh, it's a little bit lower risk, smaller market. And if everyone decided I was a complete idiot, well, I've turned off, you know, a couple thousand CoffeeScript programmers, but nobody need tell the hundreds of thousands of JavaScript programmers. So um, it, that, that was kind of a, uh, a trial run. And I chose the word ristretto for, I hadn't figured out allongé, but I chose the word ristretto is how I normally order. Um, well, I usually say short. I'm, I, I, I don't usually say ristretto. But um, that is the more compact and uh, sort of dense version of espresso. And I felt that that really suited CoffeeScript because it is more compact syntactically and because I was trying in that book to be brief. I sort of had in mind, I was a little bit inspired by um, uh, the little schemer, the little lisper, um, which has gone on to like Realm of Racket, uh, and if I could have, I would have written it as briefly as the authors of the Little Schemer have written about scheme. I, I, I was, I'm, I'm not as talented as they are, but I was definitely trying to, to keep it short and really crisp. That book went reasonably well. I, I actually would have given that away if I could have, but I did, uh, to be perfectly uh, candid, I did feel like I wanted to validate that it was worth somebody's time. You know, you can't really, if something doesn't cost money, you can't really count downloads. I mean, everyone will download it and maybe read it, maybe not. But, you know, if people have to pay for it, then A, they'll call you up and yell at you if you did a lousy job. 
And uh, B, they'll think twice if it doesn't appear attractive to them. And C, they'll probably read it if they paid for it, or at least it's a higher possibility. So I, I did want to have, you know, some non-trivial monetary uh, costs associated with it that would validate for me that I was writing it well, getting the right feedback. And it was, I think, by most book standards, unsuccessful, but I was very happy with, uh, with the result. And um, which is okay for me because I'm, I'm really a niche author. And then when I sat down to write the JavaScript book, for some reason, Alanger popped into my head because it's kind of the opposite. It's more watery and uh, to me, it doesn't taste nearly as nice, but it's still great. And uh, JavaScript syntactically is, you know, longer and wordier than CoffeeScript. And uh, in some ways, a little bit annoying, but you know, fundamentally, it's a, it's, it's, it's still this, the, the semantics, the thing that make it really good, are still there. And um, so, that name, uh, that name came to me for the JavaScript book. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I also want to point out that uh, I was a missionary in Italy for two years, and so all the pictures of all the coffee shops and stuff. I mean, I don't drink coffee, but we would go in there and get hot chocolates or sodas or whatever. And, and just the smell and the, you know, the the visual, it, it was, it, it brought back some memories for me, so. Well, you know how people often make uh, canonical jokes about the difference between the demo of a product and the actual shipping product? Coffee is really the best, the, the most iconic, I'm not going to say the best drink for programmers, but the most iconic drink for programmers, because I recall reading a um, an essay about coffee by a food columnist, and uh, he said, the entire history of mankind's relationship with coffee is a futile attempt to make it taste as good as it smells. <laughs> That's funny. I hear that. <laughs> and I've got, I've got to say that that reminds me of an awful lot of software and software marketing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So I would like to ask um, a question about what are like some of your favorite parts of the book? some of the things that you were really pleased with or you thought, you know, oh, this is something that other people are really going to, this is the, this is the part that other people are going to really like or, you know, anything like that. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll give you two. There's one that I hoped, I, I, th- I think maybe would, would be the, the most valuable. A lot of people have given, I, I sort of hoped this would be the case when I wrote it and the feedback so far has, seems to back it up. A lot of people have told me they really like the explanation I give about how prototypes work, about objects, about how you can do sort of encapsulation with closures as well as the, uh, how you can do inheritance with prototypes and so on. This has been explained over and over again, but I don't think my explanation on its own is any better than anybody else's, but I think the way I wrote it and in the context of, of you know, what you've read by the time you get there seem to uh, resonate with people so that it kind of sticks and people say, yes, okay, I've read this before, but now it makes sense. Mm. So, so that, that, that's, uh, that's something I hoped for. I hope that, the, that, that holding off on all the sort of object stuff until later would pay off in the sense that people would say, oh, yeah, I totally get that because of the, uh, the work with functions. So that's one. And um, the other, you mentioned the, the combinators, and I think my own personal sort of favorite, the, the part that was the most fun to write were some of the early combinators, you know, things like the Fluent, uh, some of the stuff to do with um, sort of partial application, 
uh, map with, get with, uh, pluck with, those sorts of things. Um, I, it really felt kind of fun, you know, like uh, this is probably a, a massively egotistical uh, and hideous thing to say, but, you know, when I see people who are really good at soccer, they do this thing where they, you know, can bump the ball up, catch it on the back of their head, bounce it off their knees, catch it in the instep of their foot and so on. When I was writing these things, it was like, wow, look at all the things you can do with the soccer ball, or at least with the, with, you know, with these JavaScript ideas. It kind of felt like I was, you know, kicking a ball all around and wow, this, this is, this is fun, you know, thinking about these things. Uh, so that, that, that part was fun to write. And, and I hope, uh, for people that, that if the, I think that there are a lot of practical uh, things you can walk away and, and use, and I have used, but I hope that people not, don't just feel like, oh, okay, that's, that's a good trick to use, but that people say, wow, this is kind of fun thinking about working it out in my mind. It's, it's, it's pleasant. It's a good feeling. I, I hope people have that from, from that section. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great analogy, too. I, I definitely felt that same kind of feeling reading through the book. It was like, oh, wow, I'm seeing things that JavaScript can do that – you know, I wasn't necessarily that I didn't think that it could do, but I just never thought to put them together and say, oh, oh, you throw these things together like this. That's very interesting and stuff that I'd never seen anybody put together in those ways before. Oh, thank you. I, 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 t- I take that as a very high compliment. It's hard because at the same time as, as, as it's fun to do all these things with the soccer ball, the fact of the matter is in a game, you're trying to put the ball in the net. And as much as I love programming and so on for its own sake it's not just a recreational pastime and being effective you know in a work environment organizational environment open source uh, environment is it's not just a question of make more money or you know further your career but you're actually creating things that make people's lives better either directly or indirectly and so i wanted to have a i don't know if i succeeded but i was trying for a balance where someone would come away from the book and say, wow, there's a bunch of stuff there. It was fun to read. It was interesting. A couple of things made me work hard. And my hope is that people walk away from it and say, I think I'm going to be more effective now, even if I'm not using every exact trick exactly the way he wrote it, but I will use some. I can think of a few places to use this one and this one and this one and this one. And these other ones, maybe not so much, but having read them and thought them through makes me understand things better. So that's a win. If people are walking away with that feeling, uh, I'd be very satisfied. Hmm. What was the part that you agonized over the most while you were writing it? I think the beginning. I, I wrote and rewrote the beginning many times. It felt to me like there was this, uh, Gordian knot isn't the right expression, but it felt to me like there was a skein or a braid of all these ideas that are interconnected and they form like a big loop so that if you grab one and kind of like pull on it and follow it, it you end up, going to another thing and another thing and another thing and, and you're back where you started. So I, I actually found it hard to start anywhere because every single t- thing I thought about starting with, hey, let's start talking about this. It'd be like, oh, but we need to talk about this first. And that really, you know, is b- built on this. And I, I didn't have a really strong sense of everything follows from this. So that's the best place to start. And then after you've done, you know, this thing, A, B naturally follows and then C. It didn't really feel that way to me. So um, I kind of went over it over and over. And in the end, I just thought to myself, okay, let's pick some place where not talking about the things that sort of impact that will, will be the least detrimental, and then we'll talk about them as soon as possible. But I still to this day kind of feel like 
you know, it's all, I see it more as being all connected rather than, you know, some pyramid with these brilliant ideas at the top and these mundane ideas at the bottom. I, I really, it's going to sound like I burn incense and, and do yoga all day. But, <laughs> but I really, I really do feel that way. I really do feel like there's not so much that there are these advanced ideas and these basic building blocks, but that, that there's an interconnection between the various pieces that that make up javascript and that they're really more sort of equal ideas that 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 are put together in different ways it's all quarks or something along the, the, that line that's a little mystical <laughs> but it's it, it's it's it, it, it's those those are my sincere feelings that being said i don't preach I, I'm, I'm perfectly content if somebody, you know, picks up the book and says, dude, I just want to, you know, r- write a cool game because I'm about games. I mean, hey, all the better. I like games, too. Yeah. You don't need to believe, but you don't need to have the same feelings I do about the language. If you're writing a great game, do it. Let me help you write a great game so I can play it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So one other question I have for you. Uh, on Ruby Rogues, Josh Susser keeps pointing out how, how old he is and how long he's I guess more in person, you know, he kept mentioning it at the retreat, but, you know, he's been programming, he's he's almost as old as you are, um, like within a year or two. And so he talks about, you know, the Wayback Machine, you know, what it was like programming in the 70s and 80s and stuff. And I'm I'm curious what your background is, you know, how you got into programming and, and what you kind of came up through to get to the point where you were writing books about JavaScript. Well, at one point I was in a kind of enriched program, and there was something in Toronto called the Saturday School, which is organized kind of like a university. Uh, you went at the beginning and you sat in this big room and all these various teachers got up and tried to sell you on, on taking their course. And there was a morning and an afternoon session and you were supposed to pick two courses and you got to pick for yourself. So the teachers were all tr- sort of competing for, for students. And I remember I picked something called, was it whodunit? I think it was called whodunit and chess. Now, um, the whodunit, uh, you know, they said it was all, going to be all about puzzles and so on. And that interested me because I was very interested in sort of recreational math and uh, puzzles. I had read a book called 123 Infinity, was, is the very first book I can remember reading about mathematics of any kind. And it covered everything from Cantor's uh, math- mathematics of multiple infinities you know, a left null, a left one, and so on, to uh, relativity and curvature space and all sorts of other ideas um, uh, that, that went with it. And uh, that had really fascinated me. And this uh, whodunit uh, really uh, fascinated me, so I joined it. And there were these two guys, Ed and Steve, and they were kind of graduate students at U of T. And we did all sorts of weird things like played three- and four-dimensional tic-tac-toe, um, something, uh, there's, uh, something that's called, I understand, Gomaku, which is where you try to get five stones in a line of your color. And we tried playing things like that in, in multiple dimensions. We played with Spirograph. And one day they took us all to the University of Toronto on a field trip. By this time, I was no longer going to the chess and just staying in their session all day, by the way, on Saturdays. And we wrote programs in Fortran on punch cards and, and fed them through and got results. And I was completely, completely taken with it. My mom had been a programmer, but I wasn't exposed to programming before this. But I 
I just fell in love with it. And I noticed that you didn't need any kind of identification or anything to run a job. They had this high-speed job stream. It was in a big room. And you just put your punch cards in one thing and this hopper feeder thing at one end. And then uh, they, it read them very quickly and it, and it queued your job to be run. So then you collected your punch cards and then you walked around to the other end where there was this big, like 132-column uh, IBM line printer and it made a huge racket and would print off your job. And I screwed up my courage and I just walked in one day expecting to be thrown out and nobody threw me out. So I started hanging around there writing programs and... Um, after a while, the students there got, you know, told me that I was wasting too much of their time. And I did a little social engineering. And in return for, you know, going down the hall and getting them pops or pizzas from the cafeteria or whatever, people would help me with my programs. And uh, that's how I fell in love with programming uh, on punch cards. Now, flash forward a bunch of years, I uh, carry on programming into the, that would have been 1971, 72, something like that. And I took a little bit of a detour. I got interested in the business side of business. Um, I went into sales, got into marketing, and um, I actually kind of went away from programming in my career. And in the late 80s, I think it was, I was selling a bunch of Macintoshes to a group of investment bankers who were using them as this kind of a competitive advantage and uh, they asked me to recommend someone to them that could help them uh, build some complex financial models in Excel. And uh, I got a couple of people, but they kept shaking their head because they couldn't talk to the, the programmers that I was recommending to, to, to them. And it was really important that they communicate. So I, uh, I said, well, maybe try to explain it to me. I used to do some programming and, you know, maybe I can help you out, you know, manage these people or whatever. And they explained it to me and it didn't seem that hard. So I wrote the spreadsheets. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was earning way more money nights and weekends writing spreadsheets for investment bankers than uh, selling computers in the daytime. And that kind of rekindled my love of programming. So then I started doing some... Um, database work with a product called fourth dimension on the Mac. And then I built something and I had to write some light speed C I remember. And before I knew it, I was right back in the thick of it. Just totally in love with it. Started fooling around with small talk. And um, I stayed in consulting. I, I suppose was, I was going to say that. And, and here I am, but there is, there is one more piece. I stayed in consulting and at a certain point, I decided I really had enough of consulting and I started looking around to see if there's something else to do. And I was very lucky. I was referred by a headhunter uh, to one of the best jobs in the world. I went to work for a company called KL Group in Toronto and they made widgets for Unix X systems. But they were really interested in this new programming language called Java and they wanted to make tools for Java programmers. And that was a, a great fit for me because I'd was really interested in this programming language called Java. And to teach myself the language, I'd written a scheme interpreter in Java. And I went in for this job interview and I had all this stuff in my briefcase. And, you know, the uh, guy, his name is Steve Rosenberg. He's, he's a fantastic manager. And um, he asked me, so, uh, you know, how's your Java programming? And I said, oh, I brought some Java source with me. And I pulled it out, actual printed uh, source. And he said, what's this? And I said, oh, it's a scheme interpreter. Schemes are listed. He says, I know what scheme is. He says, 
this is an interpreter? I said, well, no, it's not the whole thing. I just brought with me the inner loop here. But you can see some of the things I do to optimize tail calls. And he just said, if you've written a scheme interpreter in Java, that's good enough for me. And uh, <laughs> we went on to talk about other things. And I ended up working on tools for Java. And that was really good. That, that, that I bring that up because it helped kind of shape the fact that I really liked writing for other programmers. It's a, it's, I find it a t- tremendously, it's gratifying, but it's ridiculously demanding in that, you know, programmers as a whole are very nitpicky. We write the buggiest code in the world and foist it off on end users. But then when we get tools, you wouldn't believe the bitching that goes on over this bug or that bug in a compiler or, <laughs> or, 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 a, or a revision of, of Linux or something. No, t- tell me, stop me if I'm wrong. But oh, I, 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 I find we're really asymmetrical that way. That's the most correct statement I've heard all day long. <laughs> <laughs> it's so and, true. And insightful, too. <laughs> So you mentioned that you sort of fell out of, I don't know if you said you fell out of love, but you did get into sales and marketing. And I'm wondering what, what was kind of the catalyst for you to give up on programming and, and go do sales for a little bit? You know, I, I, I wish I had a really kind of man, somebody should do his life story as a movie thing to explain. <laughs> I wish it was noble. But the bottom line is, at a certain point in my life, I was of the age where one is Uh, I was insecure. I I was insecure. And I saw at that time that the direct road to affection from the gender that I was interested in seemed to involve the possession of material uh, things one can decorate one's bower and and, and so on with. Sure. (laughs) I I think the honesty in your answer is noble. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the honest truth. Um, and I have social anxiety, so it seems like an odd thing to go into sales. But I, I later discovered it's not that unusual in that people who are sometimes a little anxious find comfort in ritualized or, um, uh, yeah, ritual kind of interactions. Yeah. And something like sales is a very ritualistic thing. There's, there's a path you follow, an algorithm you know, there's a very defined goal, whereas a date is no defined goal. You're meeting someone, see how it goes. You're not necessarily like trying, I wish to sleep with this person or I wish to marry them or whatever, especially when you're young, you're just kind of like, I'm not sure what to say. Whereas in sales, there there is something to say. You can buy a book about what to say. You can watch videotapes about what to say. And also being a little um, sort of sensitive and afraid of rejection as, 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 fatal as that is for a salesperson, it can also be helpful in that it can help you avoid being the kind of pushy person who just doesn't listen because you're always very sensitive to when someone is negatively responding and say, oh, okay, I'm pushing too hard or whatever. So yeah. sometimes people who are sort of introverted and a little insecure end up becoming good salespeople. And I don't just mean in terms of the numbers, but also in terms of having satisfied and repeat customers and being able to sort of be a little bit more win-win. Uh, and you see, you often see that in fields. They're not, they're, it's not so, such a useful thing if you're selling stereos on the big main street, but you'll often find people like this in fields like real estate where they have, you know, customers they've been dealing with for three, four, five homes in a row. And they, they seem so shy and soft-spoken, but somehow they're one of the top producers in their office. Yeah. So, 
And to be perfectly candid, I've found it. Uh, Giles Boquette has told me that, that I have the worst marketed uh, JavaScript book in the world. And I think he's right about that. So I don't, nec- I don't necessarily know that I'm using any of the things I allegedly learned in that career. But <laughs> I have found it helpful when working less with programmers, but more with either in a consulting situation or in a business situation with being able to appreciate um, things like requirements, specifications, the the process of negotiating estimates, and all the other things that have very little to do with JavaScript, but are nevertheless incredibly important for writing software that ends up making a difference, you know, in a successful yeah. project. Yeah. A little off topic for this, but you know, I, I I don't I don't sit here and regret it. Well, the the thing is, is all of the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, it's not technically about the book, but I, I think the career and the you know, the personal stuff. I mean, we all deal with that. And so it, it is still interesting and relevant to, to us as programmers. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> there you have in a nutshell how I, uh, how I got here. Oh, there's one more thing. Would you like to hear one more thing? Sure. Some, some, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a hackney thing. To, you know, say one thing that people, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't guess about you, although I may have mentioned it at some point in the past. Uh, I actually spent a lot of influential time with my father on a commune in British Columbia, which to this day is still the uh, more smoke-ridden part of Canada. BC Bud, I believe, is, is, is its greatest export. And um, although... Be perfectly candid. I mean, I was young, so I may not have. I didn't witness anything like that at the time, but um, I remember he uh, definitely instilled certain types of, you know, things that we today would call, you know, socialist values. And I think he was coming at it more from this old school hippie Marxist Leninist thing. And I don't buy into any of those slogans, but the sort of underlying ideas that you find, you know, in, in things like small communities where everyone raises a barn together and the things I said earlier about knowledge being a, you know, sort of a positive sum game where everyone wins. I think those are things that have carried with me from the, from those early experiences. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, we're, we're getting close to the end of our time. Um, and so I'm, I'm probably just going to wrap up the show. We've already been talking for an hour and I try and keep the show to about an hour. But thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for writing the book. It it really was uh, a terrific read, and uh, we appreciate you uh, taking your time. Uh, my pleasure indeed, and uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. It's been – I was a little anxious coming on, but I, I feel really relaxed and happy right now. So thank you so much. Terrific. Uh, well, let's – I felt like we were talking to Yoda this whole time. You're very <laughs> wise words. Yeah. I'm going to have to get my ears clipped. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks, and then we'll wrap up the show. Joe, do you want to start us off with the picks? Um, yeah. I only have one pick. I think I got the same pick that Merrick has. <laughs> so are you doing any other picks than one pick, Merrick? Uh, yeah, I got one other pick. All right. So I'll do our joint pick. Okay. Uh, Merrick and I, together jointly, are going to pick the Angular Conference, NGConf. Merrick and I are assisting to organize this conference. It's going to be the world's first dedicated Angular conference. It's going to be held in January of 2014 uh, in Salt Lake City, right during the Sundance Film Festival. So for extracurricular activities, there'll be some really nice, awesome cultural extracurricular activities available. It'll be a two-day conference, single track. The Angular team itself is going to be here presenting 
Uh, at least five members of the Angular team will be here presenting. It's going to be a really, really awesome content uh, conference. Very excited for it. Very excited. If you go to ngconf.org. Nope, ng-conf. ng-conf.org, thanks. Yep. Then uh, you can sign up, put in your email address, and get notified as uh, tickets go on sale. Yeah. And then the other pick that I wanted to add, I think Joe should go into sales. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but I got this thing that used to be a Kickstarter project, and it's called Lumo Back. And it's like this thing that you strap around your waist, and it monitors your posture and sort of streams your posture information to your phone. And also, if you're slouching for more than a certain number of seconds, it'll vibrate on your back. So it's been, it's been pretty, pretty neat so far, and I'm hoping it'll get rid of some of my lower back troubles. So are you uh, annoyed yet with it constantly buzzing at you? Yeah, yeah, I took it off during the show because I got pissed at it for buzzing at me because <laughs> I've, I've been slouching throughout the show, I suppose. Nice. But yeah, that's, that's the pick. It's just the Lumo back. All right. AJ, what are your picks? I've been working with Twilio lately, and it's been really fun and interesting, challenging. It's um, because you're, you're, you're working with a phone. I mean, you're used to working with, like, client and server, but all of a sudden you have at least two phones and this concept of a call, which is kind of like a session but kind of not, and just the way the you make the requests and you get the responses and you get several responses for different events that might happen, like... If they put in some keys, then you'll get a response, and then you get to respond to the response with some other action. Like it's just been it's it's been interesting to wrap my mind around the way that it works. It's very not restful. It's very uh, something else. I mean, not not that it's 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 good that it's not restful because rest doesn't really apply to the the use case of of how the the phoning works. But anyway, I've I've really been enjoying it, and it, and it, it Twilio just makes telephony is so simple it's so it's so easy to use i mean there's there's obviously some bumps and hurdles but it's um been really great and also i uh i decided to throw up a project on on bounty source which is kind of like kickstarter it's um what tim was using for for js git for his second round so i'll just mention that and throw it up and if people like it they can contribute to it but it's a an inbox for everything so basically, your emails, text messages, voicemails, direct messages on Facebook, direct messages on Twitter, all in one place, so you don't have that problem of you you start a conversation on email, it moves to text, it goes back to Facebook, and then you can't figure out, like, you can't view the conversation as a whole, or you can't, like, uh, figure out where was it that they gave me the time, and you have to search through your texts and your emails, and your Facebook to find the time of the meeting or the place or, you know, stuff like that. That sounds interesting. I'll go ahead and give my picks next. Um, I've got a couple of picks. One is uh, I was trying to do some stuff for um, signing up for Ruby Rogues Parlay. And incidentally, I'm looking into doing something similar for JavaScript Jabber. And I was trying to set things up with uh, Nginx, um, which is an Apache alternative if you're not uh, familiar with it uh, as a web server. And uh, I had some problems, and uh, there's this guy that was following me on Twitter, and so when I posted, he replied and uh, was super helpful. His name is Brian Stevens. Um, you can find him on Twitter as BD Stevens, and uh, you can find his uh, company. He's a freelance uh, IT guy at, uh, is it? I think it's dataporters.com. Uh, yeah, dataporters.com. So uh, anyway, go, go check him out. Um, 
the other picks that I have, um, so the Ruby Rogues are writing a book, and we've uh, we're, we're doing it through Pearson, and Pearson owns Informit.com, which is a place you can get eBooks, and uh, they're also part of the um, family of publishers that put books on Safari Online, and uh, those are two terrific places to get get these books. Some of the books that uh, Reg talked about, like the functional JavaScript that was written by uh, Michael Fogus, is available on Safari Online. So um, really, really like those services, and I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Um, Reg, what are your picks? Um, well, I mentioned uh, QED. I mentioned 123 Infinity, and uh, I'll toss one more in. Tom Stewart has written an amazing book, Understanding Computation from Simple Machines to Impossible Programs. It is written in that incredibly complicated Ruby programming language, which is, you know, I love the language, but it's not nearly as elegant as JavaScript is for the types of things he's talking about. But um, for those listeners who do speak Ruby or, or, you know, even if you skip over some of the code examples, he does explain a lot of really cool, cool things um, from uh, finite automata, you know, um, and um, cellular automata and combinators, my own uh, interesting thing in chapter seven, um, on up to Turing machines and so on. And he does it in uh, a style I wish I wish I was as good a writer as he is at being able to make it start with basics, which was something I was trying to do with, you know, JavaScript Alange. And he just starts with ba- uh, basics and then walks you up. It's like having a graduate degree in computer science without all the exams, all the studying, and with it being an enjoyable read. So um, that would be my uh, third pick on top of QED and uh, one, two, three, infinity. Awesome. We will be discussing uh, understanding computation with Tom on the Ruby Rogues podcast in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, do you want a different uh, <laughs> different pick then? No, that that's awesome. So, uh, really quick, where do you uh, where do people go to get your book? Okay, so um, the uh, URL is uh, leanpub.com slash JavaScript dash Allonger. Now, uh, my understanding is this broadcast will be coming out on a Friday. So um, I would be pleased to offer listeners to this podcast uh, $5 off if they pick it up on the Friday, the Saturday, or the Sunday weekend sale. Awesome. All, all they have to do, there's a coupon spot, is type the words well, one word, all is one word in capitals, JS Jabber Rocks. Awesome. Really appreciate that. And, and I'm sure our listeners do too. So just to clarify, that is only Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when the show comes out. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show again, Reg. It's been terrific to talk to you, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. <laughs>